You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I have a bone to pick with White Sox fans on social media right now, mostly Facebook. Facebook's starting to tick me off. Like White Sox Twitter, I expect to be weird. Weird things happen on it. People have weird opinions on it. All right, fine. But Facebook has become the angry old man app right now that White Sox fans are sitting on being angry and old. I think that's generally true of Facebook outside of White Sox fans, but yeah, go ahead. Well, I know we have a big contingent on Facebook. Basically, let's just say social media in general, all White Sox fans in the comments. And they they seem to believe that if Dylan Cease is traded, that signifies like a three to four year rebuild. And I'm here to say that that's wrong. That's wrong-headed. That that tells me you don't really understand the situation and, and what is going on. Because Dylan Cease is a pitcher that was definitely going to leave after the 2025 season because Scott Boris is his agent. And Dylan Cease is also a pitcher that has one season in 2022 where he's a legit ace. And I, and ace is used loosely because he's still averaging less than six innings pitched per game when he's doing that. He's just putting out, you know, putting lights out numbers out there. I mean, if I remember right, he had to be less than six innings because if he got to six, I was super excited. He's not the guy who goes deep, and he definitely wasn't an ace last year. Lucas Giolito would have been the ace. So we're acting all of a sudden like Dylan Cease moving on this team when you're trying to take a long-term vision for the team and you're saying, hey, I want to get something back and I want to start competing, not later, but now we're acting like moving on from Dylan Cease immediately signifies that it's 2017 all over again. Chris Sale is out the door and we're in the middle of misery for the next like half half decade. And I, I'm just not buying that narrative. No, there's a massive difference between Dylan Cease and where they were when they were trading Chris Sale. And there's also a massive difference, too, in in some of the philosophy, right? We saw, just just look at the last two trades the team has made. The the, the bummer trade where Chris Getz goes for Major League depth, right? No, No stars, just Major League depth. Three guys who are Major Leaguers, one guy who could end up on the Major League roster, he's so close, and then an actual prospect. That's what he brought back. Versus trading Jake Berger for Jake Eater, who is a guy that's a couple years away, right? It was a high-end prospect but needs a little more time. It's it's a night and day difference. And and the this this fascination with Dylan Cease as the ace of the staff, he was a Cy Young runner-up, that's true. But so was Mike Soroka. Mike Soroka was a was a Cy Young runner-up as well. He had one really good season. And you got enough. The same people are sitting around telling you, oh, Mike Soroka. I mean, yeah, I mean, I know that it was because of his Achilles and it's not really an arm problem, but maybe he's a fourth or fifth starter on your team. But then they're so willing to sit there and tell you that Dylan Cease is definitely an ace you never want to let go of. I think that's staggering. Add an Achilles injury to Dylan Cease right now and and then call me in two years and tell me you don't feel exactly the same. This episode of Socks in the Basement and every episode of Socks in the Basement brought to you by Cork and Carey at the park. Found in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton, your home base for White Sox pregame, postgame, and viewing parties. Remember, on Tuesdays, go see Gino at the bar for two for Tuesday with Gino, two for one award-winning burgers. 
They also have an extensive bar with a rotation of craft beers, familiar favorites, spirits, and wines. And don't forget about the original location, Cork and Kerry Beverly, the traditional Irish bar at 10614 Southwestern Avenue. Follow them on social media for their weekly specials and see more at CorkandCarry.com. Well, and, and to your point, okay, so let's look at Garrett Cole, who just won the Cy Young Award this year and, and is an ace. Tell me, anybody out there would deny Garrett Cole of the New York Yankees is an ace of a staff. He pitched 209 innings this year. He had, in the entirety of this year, one, two starts that I see where he went less than five innings, okay? One was June 25th, and he went four and two-thirds. The other one, August 19th against Boston, he only went four innings. And, you know, fine, those, those are the two. But his average is six and a third innings per start, which means that he's going into the seventh inning in, in just about every start on average, right? Dylan Cease, in his best year, five and three quarters of an inning, so basically five point, you know, he's, in, he's maybe into the sixth. And then last year, five and a third, maybe into the sixth, okay? But Cease last year has multiple, multiple times where he is – I mean, not getting, he's got one, two, three, four, five, because he's got one in here where he went 1.2 innings, six, he's got six starts last year where he doesn't get out of the, where he doesn't get out of the fifth. And and you can't talk about him as an ace in there, especially when he only has two innings, you know, two outings the entire year where he goes to, to goes seven. He might have the best stuff on the team. That's true. He might have some of the best stuff in the in the in the American League. That that is true. Dylan Cease is a talented pitcher, but Dylan Cease doesn't know how to pitch yet, and he is an asset right now for the White Sox. That if he turns into not a bunch of prospects, not a Rick Hahn, let me take the top three guys on the pipeline. I don't want that, and that's the thing. I don't think the trade is for prospects. That's that's the thing. I think Dylan Cease's uh, his his return is similar to what we're seeing the White Sox get in return in, in the first trade that Chris Getz went out and made, right? Like, he's he's going out and trying to find guys that you may not you may not like because they're not flashy. And again, this goes back to how everybody was conditioned over the last couple of years, right? Right. You're supposed to make a trade, and you're supposed to get a guy that's a top 10 player. A name. You're right. supposed to get a you're name. You're supposed back. to get a name that everybody's like, oh my goodness. And then we're all supposed to watch that guy in the minor leagues with like grainy video, like it's a, it's a Pruder film, and, and we're supposed to watch it, and we're going to see him hit like a towering bomb off of some terrible pitcher in double A. We're like, oh, I can't wait till he gets to the south side. Pray for the league, right? We already went through that hype. We already went through that garbage, right? And you know what we found out? We found out most of those guys, when they got to the major leagues, were nothing like what they were supposed to be. We got one that showed up that was like that. His name is Luis Robert Jr. He's in center field. And even he had some moments where he had disappeared in the early going, right? He went on a huge slump in 20. And trust me, if they traded him away... I'm just going to be screaming. I, I don't even. I don't know what I'll do. Oh, there, 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 yeah, at that point, the show is going to just become me bashing the White Sox twice a week. That's all it would be. Right. That's oh, all yeah, it would be. It's, if they just, traded it, it's just a. It's just a hatred fest. Then at that point, right. But look, this idea that Dylan sees sparks a four-year rebuild. He's not under a long-term contract. He's not under long-term control. He is a Scott Boris client. He's a guy that has immense amounts of talent in his arm, but has not figured out how to put it together. If you are worried that you are trading away a legitimate ace of a staff, what you're doing is really maybe more akin, and this is going to sound harsh, and I'm going to get some hate mail for it, but 
there was a point at which we started to see the wheels coming off of Yohan Moncada after his one good season. Right. And excuses were made, and, and the thought was that the talent is still there, and maybe the talent is still there. And Dylan Cease and Yohan Moncada are not the same guy. But sometimes you look at a player and you sit there and go, there's something about him that just doesn't fit what we have been sold that this guy is to See, this I team. like I like how you're dancing around it. Why don't I say the insulting thing? Because first of all, I like Dylan Cease, and I think he's a really talented pitcher. And if it weren't for the Scott Boros thing, I'd be like, hold on to this guy. See if you can resign him and keep him around, right. right? Okay, but let me find the warts right here. I'll expose him. I'll put the light on him. The argument seems to be that because the team was down and he was unhappy, that's why he's got such terrible stats at the end of the year. He's got a 1.418 whip because of how unhappy he was, because of how bad things were at the end, because he had a terrible team around him. He's got a 4.58 earned run average on the year and a 7-9 record because of how bad everything was. And you know what? Record-wise, I'll give you that because wins and losses, they, they really mat- it really matters how the team is performing, right? That, uh, all right. uh, and I'm not looking at his wins and that's, losses. That's your argument. I get it. But here's my counter-argument. Is a guy on your team that when the going gets tough – doesn't give you his best effort, no matter if the team is winning or losing, is that guy the ace that you build your rotation around? No. Okay, and and it's possible that that's the problem. Now, I don't know if that's the problem. I'm not saying that I even believe that's the problem, but I am telling you it's possible that that is a problem. And so that's why I don't get the hand-wringing and the crying over the idea of moving on from him. Look, if somebody asked me right now to put money down and tell you that I either believe Dylan Cease is going to go off and have a really good career, and there's going to be years we're going to wish he was on our team, or if I think he's going to completely tank and he's going to fall off the face of the earth like Moncada did over the last couple years, I put my money down on the fact that he's going to be good. I'm not moving him off my fantasy baseball team. I still think he's very valuable whatever team that he goes to. He has a purpose, and he has a place in most rotations. But I listen to the national pundits. That's the thing that I think White Sox fans have to start doing. Listen to the national pundits as they talk about where Cease could end up. And most of them describe him as a guy who is not an ace on a contending team for a World Series, but a high-end piece in a rotation that you would want around. Definitely a guy that would come out and pitch game two or game three of a playoff series, and you'd just be trying to get the best five innings possible out of him. And because you're a contender, you have a great bullpen, and they come in and they take over afterwards, right? Like, that's what he is. White Sox fans are acting like if he moves on, it's losing Chris Sale. And that's not the same thing, because he's not what Chris Sale was at his height. Give me Chris Sale at the time that the White Sox ended up moving on from him, not knowing what his injuries were going to be. And Dylan Cease now, where I, I don't know what's going to happen to him in the next five years. And ask me which guy I would have rather had on my team if I was going to contend, and I would have taken Chris Sale. Sox fans, if you're looking for exterior windows, doors, patio doors, storm doors, look no further than Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. No high-pressure sales with Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. They're not in your kitchen. They're in their showroom with full examples and glass designs on display. Forget pictures in a book. See it in person with an owner in showroom and another one at the site. 
They have their own installers as well. They're not farming out the work. That's how you know it's getting done right. They've been doing it this way for 40 years. They've been in Oak Forest since 1985. All major brands custom made, no stock items for a perfect fit. They are one half block east of 159th and Ridgeland at 6280 159th Street. See more at windowdooroakforest.com. And the whole point of what I was trying to say too is, is not that... For example, that's why I say he's not Yohan Moncada. He's not, the wheels aren't going to come completely off. But we saw a spot where Tim Anderson was going from a guy who was at the height of his game to falling back to a guy who might be very good and very useful. Dylan Cease might be falling into, I'm very good, I'm very useful, but the idea that he's an ace, the idea that he is ace level, that's the myth that needs to be dispelled a little bit. And I don't think you're going to see him necessarily because he's entering his age 28 season, I don't think you're going to see him take a massive, massive step forward and turn into something extraordinary. I think he's settled in at a guy who, like you said, like the national pundits are saying, he is a two, a three on a championship team. So you're trying to trade a guy who's a two or a three on a championship team, and you're trying to reconfigure your roster so that you are fielding a much better team with then the hope that Jake Eater, that Nick Destrini, that these guys that you're bringing along, that Noah Schultz, become your next Chris Sale, that's how you do this. Because in 2025, when some of those guys start showing up, then we can see, do we have our next Chris Sale? And we don't need to worry about whether or not we got rid of him when we traded our only Dylan Cease. Music means only one thing brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, explore, and see everything they have to offer this weekend and throughout the entire holiday season at LamontDowntown.com. The Sox nerd Dave Marin on the line. What do you got for us today, nerd? Chris, after a one-week break to welcome the Atlanta arrivals, my alphabetical review of the 2023 White Sox Forge is on. And we pick it up with Carlos Perez. Ryan Shaw may want to enlist Perez as his personal catcher. Shaw posted a 1.00 ERA in nine appearances with Perez behind the plate. In addition, batters slashed only 107, 306, and 143 against the Shaw-Perez battery. The only player who has fared better while catching more Shaw games than Perez is Chris Jimenez with a 0.47 ERA. Next, Lane Ramsey. At six foot nine, the third tallest player in White Sox history, behind six eleven John Rauch and six ten Andy Cisco, probably wants Yasmani Grandal back. Ramsey posted a three point two seven ERA with a two sixty eight three oh four two ninety three slash line in eleven games with Grandal behind the plate in twenty twenty three. In eleven games with Corey Lee and Perez catching, Ramsey posted a nine ERA and a slash line of three fifty nine. 533 and 513. Moving on to Zach Remillard. The utility man hit 394 in June, which was the second highest by a Sox rookie in the month behind Maurice Archdeacon's 459 in 1924. Remillard's June average is the 12th highest in Sox history using a minimum of 33 at-bats. Finally, Luis Robert Jr. Robert emerged from 2023 with a 380 career average against the Cubs. The average is tops in Sox history against the Cubs and 20th all-time, 
using a minimum of 50 at-bats. Robert continued to be the Sox's best hitter against the Cubs at Guaranteed Rate Field in 2023. He ended the campaign hitting 429 against the Northsiders in home games, which is tops in Sox history among players with 17 at-bats. Before I get to my zinger, I remind you that these gems and others on players like Patino, Peralta, and Ramirez, who did not make the podcast cut, are on my blog, which you can link to at SoxInTheBasement.com. My zinger. Jim from the Southside contacted SoxInTheBasement.com and wanted to know why a White Sox player has not worn the number six since Ricky Seilheimer donned it in 1980. Hey, Chris and Ed, uh, this is uh, Jim uh, from the Southside. Uh, just wanted to say I really enjoy your Socks in the Basement podcast. Uh, live over not too far from the Cork and Carry here in uh, Beverly. Just a real quick question. Uh, uh, like I said, I uh, your Socks nerd seems very, uh, he knows uh, Dave Marin seems to know a lot of the uh, what's going on on the inside. Can he answer the question why Jerry Reinsdorf will not let anyone wear the number six. In Jerry's 42 years of owning, the only people he allowed to wear it were Charlie Lau's great two years in the mid-80s and Wal Hriniak. Just curious why he won't allow somebody to wear this number. There's been uh, several players. I know Gordon Beckham always wore it, and then he was told he couldn't wear it with the White Sox. Adam Eaton used to wear it with Arizona he wasn't allowed. I mean, for 40, last player to wear it was Ricky Seilheimer in 1980. So, blast from the past. But anyways, guys, keep up the great work. Just be interested. If, I tried to call the White Sox on this, and uh, nobody could give me an answer. So, it'd be great if you guys know something. Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to listening to you a lot more this offseason. Bye now. Well, he was on to the reason by mentioning a coach. Hitting coach Charlie Lau wore number six for the Sox in 1982 and 1983. The organization has so much respect for Lau, who succumbed to cancer in 1984, that only his protege, Walt Riniak, has worn six in the last 28 years. For the record, Taffy Wright was number six for a Sox best nine seasons from 1940 to 1948, and probably the best-known player to display six on his back was George Orta, who played for the Sox from 1972 to 1979. That's it, Chris. Probably more than you wanted to know about Catcher's ERA, Maurice Archdeacon, Cub Killers, and the number six. I think that we need more phone call questions, especially in the offseason for Sox nerd. Yeah, really. I, I like the fact that somebody took the initiative and reached out, and you can leave messages uh, right through SoxInTheBasement.com. You can also use the uh, Sox in the Basement Sportsbook, the preferred sportsbooks. Uh, there's some great deals on there. No matter where you live, uh, wherever you live, whatever is the legal sportsbook, it will pop right up on your screen when it reads where you're from, and it will tell you all the best deals that you can only get through SoxInTheBasement.com. But I want, I want to see more... Uh, phone calls for the Sox nerds. So definitely reach out if you have a written question, send it to us as well, and we'll give it to him. It makes him happy because he's trying to find things to talk about. Uh, one of the things I know you want to talk about, Ed, is the positions that still need to be addressed. Because again, I don't believe it's a full-on rebuild. And I do believe that the smart move is to start building now for 2025, which is why you want guys that are major league ready right on the cusp uh, type of players at, at an absolute minimum, but you have some positions you need to fill. I would think there's at least catcher in right field. How many how many positions do you think they definitely have to go out and make a move to acquire more talent just for this season that's coming up? Uh, I think you need a right fielder. You need one more starting level outfielder for sure, right? 
I think you need a veteran catcher because you're, you're relying on youth, and I don't think that, that that works out. I think you need somebody who can handle the staff, even if it's somebody whose job can be taken very easily by Corey Lee or you know Carlos Perez, whoever, right? I also think you're at least two actual Major League starting pitchers away from having a rotation because you've got some guys that might fight for spots in the rotation, but they're not they're not really your long-term plans, and, and you can't force-feed some of these guys to be in there and be ready because that's what that's what damages them. That's what turns them into, for lack of somebody better to compare to, that's what turns them into Michael Kopech, where you're just, you just you don't know that he can start because you really haven't seen him have the time to develop into a starter, and they're they're doing it on the fly. So you need at least those four people. And then I do think you need at least one other middle infielder. So you have plans. A lot to do at the end of the year. Stuff to do to prepare for next year. Much like a small business owner who's trying to figure out health insurance for his employees. Or maybe you have a large business. Or maybe you're doing it for yourself. Or maybe you're a retiree and you're dealing with government programs. Whatever you're dealing with, Butch Zemar at Elite Benefits of America is the guy you should be contacting right now. It's open enrollment season. There is still time to get things done this year. And there is definitely time to set yourself up for a big, big victory in 2024. Whether it's making your company the place to be employed and sweetening the pot for your employees or just saving them money and saving you money and saving the company money. The Elite Benefits Playbook is free and Butch wants to show it to you. A custom-made plan that is going to help you out. Call him today, 708-535-3006 or visit EliteBenefits.net. So you believe... That not only does Chris Getz hate all of the middle infielders in his system, which is how I felt after I saw Paul DeYoung and Nicky Lopez join the team. Like, he's right. like I don't I don't want to ever see Romy or uh, Lenin or any of these guys. Like he's, it was like he was like, I don't want to deal with any of them. But you don't even think that he wants those guys as a backup. Like you think that he he really wants to have like a third middle infielder brought in because he doesn't want to look at any of them. Well, I don't know. I don't know if he wants to worry about trying to fit at bats in for Lenin Sosa to be a utility guy. I don't know that he, you know, that he really. I don't. Yeah, I don't really know that he wants Romy Gonzalez. What what has Romy Gonzalez shown us that that Chris Getz would sit there and say, "I'm going to rely on this guy." Right. Right. So I think I think there's a veteran. I think there's another veteran middle infielder. Frankly, I think there's some competition there for for DeYoung. I think there's some competition to be put in place for Nicky Lopez too. I don't think those guys are guaranteed starting spots. I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to build... Still goes and gets Whit Merrifield? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so, because if you wanted Whit Merrifield, you go and get Whit Merrifield right now. You don't even bother with Paul DeYoung. Here's the funny thing with the Merrifield thing. Remember when it was like, oh, they're going to go get Whit Merrifield and Sal Perez, right? And they might still go get Sal Perez. That might be That's the veteran possibility. catcher, right? But but the Whit Merrifield thing wouldn't fit your defense no. mantra at all. It wouldn't make sense with the other moves that you've made. Because you, 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 if you get him, you're going to play him. And so you're going to have a poor defensive player up the middle on your team. Or I heard the suggestion like he can stand in right field. I'm like, ah, look, no. at, the, look at those metrics as well. That's a terrible idea. So I, I don't believe that he's even an option anymore because it doesn't fit what Chris Getz is doing. I, I do think that you're right. Another middle infielder added in who's at a, at a high defensive level. That, that, that he has that rotation, I can see that happening. The thing that definitely needs to happen, though, and you touched on it, was pitcher. You know, and maybe that's the thing that will finally calm down White Sox fans because everything he's done to this point is how I would have done it at this point. 
he he Stanthor said I want to get rid of everything that's in the front office that's uh that's got the Kenny and and Rick stink on it. He did. He brought in his own people that he wanted to use. You might not like the fact they have a Royals connection, but it's at least fresh blood. He did that, okay? He's doing his evaluations. He's trying to change the way that things work internally. Okay, fine. And then he says, I want to get strong defensively up the middle before I touch anything else. And he moved on it now. Before Thanksgiving, he had started to fix that problem. Before Thanksgiving, he had started to fix the problem with depth with his with his pitchers. He made, he made some moves right away. This, though, has to be just like the prequel, like the 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 base that's set up before he actually starts making moves. He should be out there this offseason trying to secure two legit starting pitchers to deals that are three to four years long to start to build his rotation the way he needs to build it, especially if he's moving on from Dylan Cease, right? Especially if he's moving on from Dylan Cease, you got to go out there and you got to grab a couple of guys. And they don't need to be the guys that are way up at the top of the list. But I mean, I would go grab those guys. You know, I, w- I would go find somebody on, on a deal that right now you're signing because you want to be competitive in 2025. And, and that, I think that's the next move that really happens. That, that, and I think that will change the opinion of people. I think, unfortunately, he'll move cease and it'll be pitchforks and torches. And then you'll start to see those moves afterwards. Yeah, unless the Dylan Cease trade yields you two members of your starting rotation, right? Well, yeah, but how valuable are those members of the starting rotation? Well, and they're, they're not going to be, and that's the problem. They're not going to be, and that's why I don't think that that happens, okay? That's why I think the Dodgers thing is kind of, eh, because some of the names that would be bandied about are guys that are, you know, their reports on them are that they're capped at a, at a mid-rotation guy. So I think what you're probably looking at there is finding those mid-rotation guys out on the market somewhere or finding a guy that has upside that might be able to, to, you know, like we've talked about Jack Flaherty a few times. Luis Severino. I'm sorry. Or I'm Luis just going to keep saying it and, over and over again. Luis yeah. Severino. I can't believe that that guy forgot how to pitch. No, you, you can't fathom that this guy doesn't know how to pitch or that somebody who's had some arm problems can't get healthy. And it's the whole Mike Soroka thing too, right? Is is if this guy gets healthy, he gets back to what he was or some, some version of it anyway. So... I think that you know if if you're looking for for something to hold on to, it's a little like trading for Freddie Garcia before 2005, right? At that deadline where you're adding Freddie Garcia, even though it's questionable whether or not you're going to the playoffs, you're looking for that because what did Freddie Garcia do? Well, stabilize the middle of that rotation in 2005 and then beyond, right? So that's that's kind of what you're looking to do is to sit there and say, I want to have guys that I know are going to be here for the next three years maybe four years if I can convince Jerry to, to go beyond his his usual metrics of how we sign guys. He won't do that. I, I know he won't, but but still, uh, there's always hope, I guess. But, you know, 24, 25, 26, right? This is how I'm trying to build for the next couple of years because, one, I got to field a major league team. Two, there are guys in my pipeline that are down there that are not ready yet. And I think the other thing that we're going to start seeing with Gats because we're kind of seeing it with Oscar Colas, right, speaking of right field, is this idea that just because you're at the top of our prospect list doesn't mean you're major league ready. Right. So I think Getz takes a far more measured approach with his prospects than what you saw Kenny do in the past two decades. So it, it, there's there's bound to be at least one, if not two, I think, signings for the rotation. And I don't think they're going to be the like what the Cardinals did with Lance Lynn, and uh, yeah, I don't want I, one year bridge guys. I don't. I yeah, don't want that at pitching. It, it, I get it's it. not a Lynn and Gibson. I, thing. Well, here's the They're thing. I guys. get the idea of a bridge for Mon- Colson Montgomery, right? If Paul DeYoung is, is signed just to be a bridge, 
I get that because every report tells you, and national people tell you, that when he gets here, he's going to be really good. Like the, the, the right. smart money is he's going to be really good. There's nobody down in our minor leagues that's a, that's a pitcher that anybody's sitting there saying, well, when this guy gets here, he's going to be can't miss. He's going to be really good. He's going to be, you know, so all you really need is a bridge to get to that guy because he's going to be the ace of your staff. That doesn't, that doesn't exist right now, mainly in all of Major League Baseball, let alone with the White Sox. But here's the other thing, and that goes this goes back to my argument against those that are saying this is the beginning of a long rebuild, is that people believe that it's a long rebuild because Chris Getz is waiting for his minor leaguers to get better. And they start naming off White Sox minor leaguers that we're waiting on. There's only one guy who's a superstar. His name is Colson Montgomery. That's it. I don't believe in anybody else. Nobody else has even progressed to a point where you could, you could stake a rebuild on them. This is not the minor league system that was created after all the trades and the fire sales to start the rebuild back in 2017. This is not that. Okay, so the idea that Chris Getz is now just kind of trying to clear the deck and build bridges until 2026 for the guys that are currently in the system, that's ludicrous because your system is terrible. So, again, I, I, I go back to what I'm seeing him acquire in his first trade, and I'm looking at the fact that, sure, you can get a bridge for, for Montgomery with the young because of his pedigree, but you can't do that with pitching. He needs to go out and sign guys that are actual pitchers that he intends to have in his rotation for multiple years. And, and, and I, I'm really hoping he starts to do it because when he does, it will validate my feelings about what I think he's trying to do. And it'll kind of shut up those that just want to be angry. And trust me, I have enough anger. I'm, I'm an angry White Sox fan too, right? We didn't, we, didn't well, renew, we, we didn't renew our season tickets this year, okay? We laughed at the voucher program. We're not, we're not doing any of that garbage. Okay, so we're an angry season ticket household here. We're an angry season ticket family from my father to my sister to me. But I also I also see what's going on. And I just cannot believe that this is a multi-year rebuild based upon the, the return he's getting back. And I think those starting pitchers you're talking about that he needs to go out and get in the offseason will finally start to show some of the naysayers that this is what's actually happening. It's a quick turnaround retool with an eye on 25 and a lot of payroll flexibility. I think you're going to see the same thing in right field. I think you're going to see someone long-term. It's got to be, right? Yeah. It's got to be a long-term guy. You can't go get a one-year guy, right? You can't. No. It, no. You, you'll know. You will know where the you will know where the, the bridges are because it will be something like, we're going to hold on to Yohan Moncada only because we're bridging to Brian Ramos. We're holding on to... And because you can't we, give him to anybody unless you want to give up prospects to get rid of him. Right. Yeah, because nobody will take him. Right. But... You know, it's going to be, you're going to see a right fielder that is not a bridge to Oscar Colas or a bridge to somebody else that's in the minors. You're going to see a guy that they plan on using for the next few years. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't see a lot of guys that look like long-term guys in free agency. So I feel like that's the trade, right? That's That like, might be the trade. That's the trade because I don't see anything that's sitting out in free agency that makes me sit there and say, okay, yeah, go get that guy and put him in right field for the next three years. I think the deal brings back your right fielder. And I think, and I think that that could be a very exciting thing because you could you could end up with, for Dylan Cease getting back to his value, even though we would argue he's not the ace of a staff, he is still worth, absolutely worth some major league talent and a potential star outfielder. Right. I mean, think about that. If he brought back your if he brought back your starting right fielder for this year, and he brought you back a pitcher that's at a Triple A level. That is a rotation piece that most people would say he'd be ready to give it a give it a go here in spring training and, and he would most likely make the team. 
If you got that for Dylan Cease right now, then I and, and I'm sure you would get probably some other sprinkling of other things around there and stuff like that. I don't think it's a two for one deal in that in that regard. Not unless, not unless one of them is like Juan Soto or right, something. Right, like right, exactly. But I, I'm just saying, like those those being major pieces in there would make an awful lot of sense. I, again, until I see a trade that that Chris Getz makes where he gives away talent for nothing but prospects that aren't going to be here in a couple of years, until I see that. All right. Or if, until I get to the end of the offseason and I'm like, we didn't sign any pitchers, I'm going to believe that this is not a long term rebuild. And, and if I'm a fool, it won't be the first time that we've all been fooled before, right? Wouldn't be the first time. That's the life of a White Sox fan. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.